Imagine if Ernest Hemingway had been a magician. Same guy, same swagger, same mind. But instead of channeling everything he had to say through language, he tried to put it all on the stage. Because, and here I'm just jumping straight into it right at the beginning. Hi everyone, welcome to episode two. Because Hemingway's gift, his genius, was not writing. It was seeing and listening and feeling and thinking. Our evolutionary history is too long and our tradition of written language too short for anyone to be born with a gift specifically for writing. Writing was just the form he used to communicate. He chose it. If you're a magician, in fact, let's say you're the greatest magician in the world, you still don't have a talent for magic. There is no such thing. Magic, like writing, like music, like painting, like everything, draws from an unfathomably complex web of abilities and talents and gifts. You have what you have, and you can bring it to any undertaking you choose. There's that great quote from John Lennon, who said, More than anything, I'm an artist. If you get me a tuba, I'll get you something out of it. But here's the thing. Here's where it gets complicated. If it's true, and I think it is, that each of us is a bundle of malleable creative drives and capabilities, then there are probably vast swaths of our creative potential that we're not using, that we're not tapping into as magicians. Because each medium, each art form, asks some things of us and not others. In this episode, we're going to talk about exploration, creative exploration, and how, if you really want to become a better magician, if you want to do one thing today to take your work as a magician to a place it has never been, it would not be to practice your side steal or to learn a new trick or to study a new magic book. It would be to get a sketchbook and take up drawing or a set of watercolors and start making landscapes or a guitar so you can close the door and sit on your bed and write one song today. Ladies and gentlemen. So then I started to be interested in these things that mystified people. There it is. That's the magic part. A classical trick of magic. And I knew right then and there that I was being called to be a magician. Thank you very much once again, everybody, for viewing in. So, you know that in this show, it's my job to explore one idea in every episode that can help you become a better magician, something to think about, something to consider, a question to ask yourself as you go about the rest of your week. Sometimes these ideas are open-ended or open to interpretation, or I'm trying to inspire or provoke you into thinking about something that can lead you in any number of directions. But not today. I'm not encouraging you to find inspiration in the other arts. I mean it literally. Learn to paint. Learn to write. Start a band. Actually do it. Here's why. There's a trap in magic. And as easy as it is to fall into this trap when you're just starting out as a beginner, I think it's actually far easier to fall into it as an intermediate or advanced magician. Here's what happens. When you first become a magician, you're terrible, more or less. Let's be honest, all of us were bad at this for a long time before we got to be any good. And so in the beginning, the young magician is beset on all sides by failures, small failures and large failures and spectacular failures. 
And among other things, these failures incentivize growth, learning, progress as quickly as possible. When you're terrible, you want not to be terrible anymore, and so you are highly motivated to experiment and change and expand your vision of magic beyond your initial understanding. And eventually you do it. You figure it out. The audience likes it. And and maybe even you have an audience. People start to come to your shows. You start to get good reactions from the people who see your magic. Maybe you meet some other magicians who like what you're doing. And you begin to think, great, I've figured it out. Now I know what I'm doing. You have, for the first time, success. Now, don't get ahead of me. Here's the danger. Once you believe that you know what you're doing in magic, your motivation can flip. Now you're not trying to grow and experiment so much as you're trying to recreate the success you've already found. Maybe you have developed a style. Maybe you've established your, quote, brand. And so the incentive is to keep doing the thing that made you successful in the first place and to do it again and again and again because you found something that works. And Look, this particular point is for me as much as it's for anyone, because I have done so many shows as a professional magician that the overpowering temptation, and it's that most pernicious kind of temptation that disguises itself as prudence, the temptation to keep doing the same things and thinking the same things and performing the same things, because I know that they work in front of an audience. And that's the trap. There's this quote from Pablo Picasso. He said, Success is dangerous. One begins to copy oneself. And to copy oneself is more dangerous than to copy others. But why is it dangerous? What's wrong with that? If you have magic that's working, why turn your attention elsewhere? Let me say it like this. I have never buried a chest filled with treasure before. But if I did, or when I do, I will be damn sure to bury a smaller treasure chest with a small amount of treasure a few feet above it as a decoy. So if someone starts digging, looking for the treasure, they'll find the smaller treasure chest first and think they've found the main load. Because if you were in the forest and you dug up a chest filled with coins, you are going to go immediately and deposit them in the bank to keep them safe or invest it or to hide them in your basement or, I don't know, go have a big afternoon at Guitar Center and spend it all right away. But, but no one is going to want to keep digging because the, you know, you'd think you'd already found the treasure. You've done it. Not knowing that there's so much more down there still to find. And I think that's the trap. In magic. The trap is that you never become the magician you could have been at age 37 or 47 or 57 because you got pretty good by the time you turned 27 and then you just stayed there. Maybe the tricks change, maybe the techniques become more sophisticated, but the essence of what you're doing remains the same. So what does this have to do with learning to paint? One of the founding principles of this series is the idea that your artistic vision, the thing you're trying to share, is larger than any of the tools you use to share it. Stories are larger than language. Music is bigger than notes. Magic is more than the duplicate three of clubs you've hidden in your shoe in an effort to create a moment for the audience that feels impossible. 
When I see a magician fail, it's most often not a failure of technique. Usually the technique is just fine. It's a failure of imagination. Most often, magicians don't need better tricks. They need better dreams. They need a wilder, bolder vision of what they can do and who they can become and what they're capable of accomplishing as artists. You can become the best magician you know how to be and still fall far short of your potential in magic, not because you can't do everything you know how to do well enough, but because you don't know what you don't know about yourself, about your capabilities, about about your own capacity for so much more than has been asked of you as a magician so far. And the danger with magic is that often the first thing you learn, the first creative step you have to take, is how to do tricks, how to manage the technique and handle yourself during a performance so that the magic trick is successful. And because this alone can lead to spectacular success, just think of the reactions all of us have received from really basic magic like the invisible deck. It can be easy to get stuck on this plateau of learning tricks and then doing them for people over and over again. And to be sure, it's a pretty nice plateau. There are worse fates than doing magic for people and then having them tell you how great you are. If that's what you want your magic to be, I'm not going to tell you that it's wrong. That's fine. You do magic the way you want to do it. But the problem I ran into, and the problem I see others encountering as well, is that maybe someday you do want to go further. Maybe you want to make your work more powerful or more personal or more meaningful. And, and at least I didn't know how to do that using the skills I had developed to get to that point as a magician in the first place. And, and so the answer, at least for me, was to start exploring other kinds of art, other forms of communication, other mediums, other disciplines. Not because I wanted to leave magic, but because I'd hit a wall in my progress as a magician and couldn't find a way over it. So I decided to go around. I don't think I've convinced all of you. Let me try saying it this way. It's astonishing what you can become when you allow yourself to stop being what you have always been. If you want to be a master magician, you need a way to uncover, to excavate those parts of yourself, of your creative, artistic self that have so far gone undiscovered through your work as a magician. You can know all of the tricks and all of the slights and all of the methods and all of the techniques in the world and be able to do them all flawlessly, and you would still never find the parts of yourself and of your creative capabilities that you'd find with a notebook or a camera or a paintbrush. So that's why you take up writing or photography or music. Not so you can abandon magic and launch a new career as a writer or a photographer or a musician, but so you can find the parts of yourself that you haven't encountered yet as a magician, that, that maybe you can only find as a writer or a photographer or as a musician, and then bring them back to your work in magic. Because... Once you've written an album of songs or written a book or taken 10,000 photographs as a photographer, you won't ever be able to look at your previous work in magic in the same way. Not because it wasn't good, but because you will have grown. You will be a larger version of yourself than you were before. And your work in magic will be forced to grow and expand to accommodate the person you've become. 
I want to acknowledge that many of you are already doing this. The best magicians I know tend to be interested in and curious about a number of other fields and pursuits. And so many of the most successful magicians of our era are also successful artists in other mediums. Darren Brown's the best mentalist in the world, but he's also an incredible photographer. If, you, if you're interested in photography and you haven't seen his debut book of photographs called Meet the People with Love, it's absolutely worth a look. And Teller has done such innovative work with Shakespeare in the theater, with productions of Macbeth and The Tempest. And the great Andy Nyman is a world-class actor. I saw him star as Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof in London. And it was one of the greatest performances of any kind in any genre I've ever seen. It was just staggering. This list goes on and on. I am, I understand, preaching mostly to the choir. But one note on that. It's worth mentioning that aside from photography, Darren Brown is also a writer and a working professional portrait painter. Aside from his work in the theater with Shakespeare, Teller directed this incredible documentary called Tim's Vermeer. When I look at the best artists in our field, I see people who are constantly pushing their own boundaries wider and wider into new fields and new mediums, growing not just as magicians and mentalists, but as artists in general, which of course reflects back on their work in magic. Finally, I have a book recommendation for you. I don't actually know Jeff Tweedy's music, but he's the lead singer and songwriter in a band called Wilco, and he's written a remarkable book on creativity called How to Write One Song. The creative tools and exercises he explores are intended to help someone go from zero experience in music to the point where they can write their first song, but you could use the ideas in his book to establish a foothold in any new creative endeavor. I listened to the audiobook, which was excellent, and you can find the hardback more or less anywhere they sell books. This isn't an ad. No one's paying me to say this. I just found it useful and certainly relevant to the topic of this episode. So, if you're interested, Jeff Tweedy, How to Write One Song, highly recommended. And if anyone out there knows Jeff personally, someone should teach him how to do one great magic trick, too. After the last episode, I received a great question from a magician named Steve in Los Angeles about the subject I covered on that show. Here's what he had to say. Hi, Nate. When it comes to using deception in a similar way as a novelist or a filmmaker, where do you draw the line between carefully guiding your audience to the wonder and mystery you're trying to communicate to them, while also allowing them the space to discover it for themselves? More simply put, when it comes to the flame, how detailed should you be in your drawing around it, and how easy or hard should it be for your audience to see it? Steve, this is a really perceptive question. Thank you for bringing it up and, and for sending it in. How, how explicit can you be or should you be when sharing the most meaningful part of your work with an audience? Look, I'd like to begin my answer by acknowledging that I have some strange ideas when it comes to magic. If you haven't disagreed with me yet after two episodes, don't worry. I promise you will soon. And that's fine by the way. I'm not trying to convert anyone to my way of thinking. My hope is that by sharing the, the issues and the questions I'm thinking about in my work, you'll find some ideas and questions to think about with your work. It'd be creepy if we all agreed with each other all the time. So I am aware this is maybe an unusual answer, but here you go. 
On stage, I have this constant tension between wanting to share the work with the world and protect the work from the world. Here's the thing about wonder. Wonder is easy when it's just a word you use to try to make your magic sound more meaningful than a progression of magic tricks. But when you take it seriously, when you think about how wonder actually feels, it's this haunting, quiet, majestic, deeply personal experience that you absolutely cannot fake or fabricate. I don't think you can create wonder. Wonder is something the audience will only ever find on their own. So what does this mean for a live performance? I think about my show as a series of layers. And some people, and and maybe even most people, only ever get the outermost layer. This is a magician doing a magic show. And if I do my work well, it's a really good magician doing a really good magic show. But you leave clues along the way, and the people in the audience who are attuned to what you're doing will find them. And then they get the second layer of the show. Maybe they understand why you're doing what you're doing or what it means to you or how much it means to you. And, and so it goes, layer after layer. And in the center of all of that, you have whatever it is that I'm talking about when I talk about wonder. But I would never try to take an audience there directly. One, I don't think I could do it. I don't think wonder works that way. It's not like It's not like shock or surprise that can be created reliably by by withholding information from the audience and then giving it to them. Wonder is different. Wonder is a ghost. Sometimes it shows up and sometimes it doesn't, and the show has to work either way. But also, I think it's important to be respectful of the fact that if you genuinely are trying to share the experience of wonder with the audience, that is going to be a large personal experience for the audience too. And and in order for that to happen, they have to trust you and, and you have to trust them too. If you have a, a question or a comment or something you'd like to add about this episode, please make a recording and send it to me as a voice message on Instagram or DM me there and I'll get you an email address. I'd love to hear from you and and I very much want this to be useful to you. So please let me know if if you have a question. That's at Nate Staniforth, N-A-T-E-S-T-A-N-I-F-O-R-T-H on Instagram. Okay, thank you for listening. More from me next week.